This is The Guardian. I'm Gabrielle Jackson coming to you from Gadigal Land and this is The Full Story, Newsroom Edition, where Guardian Australia's editors discuss the news of the week. It's been described as a bonfire, a death spiral and a billionaire's folly. Once the go-to social media platform for celebrities, politicians and journalists, Twitter, or X as it's now been branded, has been deserted in droves, including by the media companies it used to serve well. In today's Tech Bites, NPR leaves Twitter. The news outlet will no longer post on the platform after Twitter... Well, the ABC it. has shut down almost all of its accounts on Elon Musk's new Twitter site known as X. And the exodus has been swift, due in large part to the actions of its CEO, Elon Musk. I, have you, I, I can tell you, you I'm, have, I'm not the CEO of Twitter. My dog is the CEO of Twitter. OK. Have you got, <laughs> have you got any... It's a great dog. You've got a black a total turtleneck. What more do you need? So what now for a media that has relied on Twitter to break news and sometimes even make news for more than a decade? Today, I'm talking to Editor-in-Chief Lenore Taylor and Head of News Mike Tischer about the end of Twitter and the future of digital journalism. It's Friday, the 25th of August. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Good morning, Lenore. Morning, Gabs. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. When Elon Musk took over Twitter, he wrote, the reason I acquired Twitter is because it is important to the future of civilization to have a common digital town square where a wide range of beliefs can be debated in a healthy manner without resorting to violence. How do you think that's gone for him, Lenore? Well, um, as a sentiment, I could not agree with him more. In reality, I think he's turned Twitter into a forum that no human being could possibly feel good about using. I mean, that's my view. Um, He's kind of destroyed its usefulness as the public square. I mean, to be fair, it was sort of already getting a little bit toxic before he took it over. But what he's done since has really, in my view, gone a long way to destroying the trust of users in being able to have a conversation there the trust of advertisers to be able to sort of advertise there in a good environment. I mean, it's almost like he's gone about destroying his own business. It's quite bizarre. I don't know. It seems now it's really only useful to billionaire narcissistic 
you know, free speech warriors. Did you want to add to that, Mike? Uh, no, I guess maybe we should try to put Twitter a little bit in context in where it fits in the landscape of the various social media companies. It's much smaller than most of the other ones. It's certainly much smaller than Facebook, much smaller than Instagram and now TikTok as well. Um, but its audience and its participants, I guess, were a, a very small number of people, relatively speaking, but also a very influential number of people. Media people, obviously, politicians. That's why it was important, not for its reach overall, but for the kind of people who were on it. It was so hugely influential. Donald Trump practically ran his presidency from there. How did it gain such influence? Look, I think it was a town square and its unique selling point was that it was real time. It was faster. It was really, really quick. So if you wanted to get your view noticed, your event noticed, your political position noticed, your you know, your revolution noticed, whatever, that was the place to go because it was really fast. And you could sort of, with hashtags and things, you could sort tweets to follow a stream of conversation or a particular event pretty much in real time. And so people did use it to organise campaigns or uprisings or to be funny. It launched careers for people who might never otherwise have gotten noticed. It sort of did democratise that real time, you know, real civic discourse. And it was much more about politics and political ideas or opinions or events than, say, Facebook, which was a lot more about, you know, when I had a cup of tea with my grandma. Like, it was more real-time and fast. And it was, for a long time, very useful, not just to journalists, but it certainly was very useful to journalists to find out if something happened, if news was breaking, you could look for the hashtags and follow that stream of tweets. Now, obviously, you would have to verify them, but it sort of gave you a starting point, eyes and ears anywhere in the world for any events that were happening. And that's a really useful thing. Mm. Mike, what are some of the ways that journalists used it? And Twitter did help journalists in many ways to make it a useful tool, didn't they? Yeah. So Twitter was was amazingly useful in a variety of ways. I mean, there are different kinds of journalists who are using it for different kinds of things. From my point of view, it was most useful in the way that Lenore's just described as just a way to monitor breaking news. Obviously, reporters use it to find sources, to look for people who are knowledgeable about a particular area, sometimes to call out for people who might help them with a particular story. Or have um, had an experience yeah, or something, yeah. exactly. And then there's, there's the debate side of it, which um, often the debates were not that <laughs> constructive or useful in some ways, but you could find very interesting opinions that you might not have thought about before or come across before. And that was useful, I know, when we launched Guardian Australia and the original editors found opinion writers sort of beyond the cast of opinion writers that were regularly appearing in newspapers at the time. I know we republished Indigenous X, which was a, a Twitter thread set up specifically to give voice to Indigenous writers who weren't otherwise getting published. I mean, it was it was democratising in that way. Mm. I mean, uh, we ran a piece this week by a comedian whose career launched because she was funny on Twitter. So, you know, it did, it did have a purpose like that. I, yeah. I guess we should be careful not to romanticise no, it too much. No, it was also a <laughs> all, bit toxic yeah, at times. All the way through Twitter's existence, well before Elon Musk bought it, people complained about the 
you know, abuse they were receiving, about the unpleasant interactions they had with people, about Twitter's slowness to do anything about that. And that was all true. And that was a particularly unpleasant um, part of, of how Twitter always was, despite some efforts to moderate that and counteract that and delete accounts that were um, perpetrating that kind of stuff. They did build up a quite strong trust and safety team at Twitter, which, while far from perfect, um, was probably the strongest among the social media platforms, which Elon Musk sacked in entirety when he took over. What other things did he do, Lenore? He did so many things. I mean, you sort of need to go back to the whole process of him buying uh, Twitter. So it seemed like quite impulsively said, I'm going to buy the company. And then he sort of signed the deal for $44 billion without doing any due diligence and without actually having the finance in place. I mean, imagine doing a $44 billion deal without any due diligence. So then he was trying to get out of the contract. It seems like he sort of had this oh shit moment. And so he launched legal action. He said to try and get out of it, he said that Twitter was full of bots. This, of course, caused both Twitter stocks and Tesla stocks to go down further. So in the end, he had to buy it anyway for this price that most people think is really inflated. And that sort of started things out in a really bad place because he had to figure out how to make a lot of money from it very, very quickly. And then he superimposed on that was his, what he calls free speech absolutist views, which you know, was never, in my view, going to end well, he actually acknowledges Twitter might now fail. So he was such a free speech absolutist that one of his first actions after he bought it was to freeze the accounts of some journalists who didn't like. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, a way to go about a free and open town square, huh? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, he sacked up more than half the staff, including engineers and moderators he needed to keep the site going. He took down most of the guardrails that kept people safe on the site, And it turned out he probably needed some of those engineers that he sacked because it actually, the platform started to fail, like during the Super Bowl, which was like one of the biggest Twitter moments since ever when Rihanna was revealing that she was pregnant and users were getting a message that said tweets are not loading now. Mm. One other department where he sacked all the staff in the case of Australia, at least, was in public relations. So it is now impossible to get any kind of comment out of Twitter. Don't about you any get the, the poo emoji? You get the poo emoji, yeah. I think now you get nothing. Or nothing. Oh. Yeah, or, yeah. He also had the bright idea to, instead of verification, meaning that you could trust someone who was who they said they were, he would just let anyone have a blue tick who would pay $8 a month. Which unsurprisingly had the effect of all these people buying blue ticks for fake or accounts pretending to be in a firm or Joe Biden or celebrities so nobody knew who they could trust on his site anymore. He imposed a daily limit on the number of tweets that you can see, so actively stopping people using his site. He is stopping people from blocking users who are trolling them, which seems amazing because, you know, that was the one thing that as a user, that was the one lever that you had to try and protect yourself. And he just posted a little while ago, he was blocking the people complaining about him stopping blocking, (laughs) saying, pretty fun blocking people who complain that blocking is going away. How does the medicine taste with two cry laughing emojis? I mean, it's like it's a big game to him. Mm. Yeah. We also haven't even mentioned that he's renamed the entire site X. For reasons... Un- unknown reasons, mm. uh, but, you know, you would think not a great brand move if you're trying to 
maintain what people valued about the brand in the first place. Uh, what else? <laughs> it's so just hard things. to follow. Right. So now we've reached a point where ad revenues are falling. It seems like he might not even be paying his bills. There have been reports that Twitter has stopped paying rent of offices it leases, that it refuses to pay its Google Cloud bill. Is this a sign of impending doom for the company? I mean, Elon Musk has other sources of revenue. <laughs> he's not. He's an extremely wealthy man who's involved in other companies, Tesla and SpaceX. But they are paying more than a billion dollars just in debt payments because he leverages himself so highly to buy it and generating much less than that in cash flow every year. So it feels like all these factors coming together, the people deserting the platform, advertisers deserting the platform, users deserting the platform, financially in a very precarious position, it feels like a massive death spiral taking all those things together. And I do wonder if there's a lot of people who are kind of quiet quitting, sort of like me. Like I still have a Twitter account. I have occasionally tweeted. I don't use it anymore. I sort of feel like I should get rid of it. I'm a little bit reluctant because I have all these followers on Twitter that I built up since I began using it in 2010. But ultimately you know, I know the Mm. gig's up and I'm not going to use this thing much anymore. And I think there's probably a lot of users in that that camp. Mm. And I feel like if some alternatives sort of grow to critical mass, the end could be pretty quick. Mm. I mean, definitely among, for the media specifically, I mean, politicians still put out statements and other organisations still put out official statements on Twitter. So you have to maintain an account even if you don't tweet yourself. So I had a moment of clarity myself this week, Lenore, exactly what you said. I watched this amazing episode of this show called The Bear and I went onto Twitter and said, oh, my God, Fishers, the name of the episode. And usually a really interesting conversation would result where people would come and talk about it, Mm. why it was such good TV and it was just like crickets. So where do I go? Mm. It's a bit hard to know. I have started using both Threads and Blue Sky. So Jack Dorsey, the original co-founder of Twitter, was initially sort of very supportive of Elon Musk, but has now set up a you know a Twitter-like mm. platform. Emphasise Twitter-like. Twitter-like <laughs> platform called Blue Sky. It's still in beta, so it's you need to get a, a code to join it. So it's sort of limiting the number of users, which means that the conversation isn't quite as real-time and quick. But it does feel a bit like Twitter at the beginning. Um, The CEO claims there's more than a million people on the waiting list to join Blue Sky. Maybe, I don't know. I mean, it isn't like Twitter yet because it's not big enough and fast enough. It hasn't hit critical mass. But I find it of the things that I'm using, the one that looks the most prospective, Threads, on the other hand, which is a meta site, which initially sort of burst in because you could pull in all your followers from Instagram. It, I don't know what you Slash think. Had, had to pull them all in, had I think. To, you yeah. had to pull in all your followers <laughs> from Instagram. I'm not loving it. What do you think of it, Mike? I am not on Threads, so oh. I can't comment. Um, well, but because I didn't want to pull in all my followers from Instagram, which yeah. not my, my all my 26 followers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, just on Threads, Lenore, it is owned by Meta. We know how Facebook feels about news. The Thread CEO was quite clear saying, this isn't for news. No, and you can, it doesn't feel like it is when you're using it either. I guess there's also Mastodon, oh, but that yeah. feels quite complicated to me. I can't really, it doesn't. I've seem never like figured an it out. Easy usage. No, have you tried Mastodon? <laughs> I 
I set up a account, but I've never used it. <laughs> yeah. It does pose some really interesting questions for the media, Lenore. You know, where does The Guardian go from here? What are you thinking about Guardian Australia's use of social media now? Um, so I think we can't get off Twitter entirely, as in we need to sort of be there to see what people are posting in this intervening period. I don't think it's in any way a useful place to have debate. I have till now occasionally tweeted pieces that our staff have written that I think are really great. I don't think I'll do that anymore. I don't know that I actually want to put our content into an atmosphere or a place that's that toxic. You know, we haven't banned staff from using Twitter and many still do, but, you know, you can see people becoming more and more cautious and less and less engaged with it as it becomes less of a useful place to be. And I do think we should actively experiment with these new platforms to see if one of them can rise up to be, you know, an alternative that is useful and moderated and safe so, yeah, I think we're in a transition period and we just need to see where it lands. Yeah, we haven't really talked about its use as a way to promote the content of news organisations, which, again, seems not completely insignificant, but very tiny in terms of the number of readers. Or who total reached. traffic. It was total traffic. Much. No, but the kind of people that it reached, that was a way we put our stories in front of the kind of people who are on Twitter, which is other media. I mean... I guess. Policymakers, politicians. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's certain, obviously a certain amount of ego involved in that as well for people. They want their stuff to be seen by their peers and recognised and, mm. you know, discussed and so on. But, but that's, that was also a legitimate function. I mean, I guess the other, the other main way that I used to use Twitter was just to put stupid jokes on there. Or, you were really you know, just, funny, Mike. Just to say, some, say something that occurred to you at the time or so you saw something that you wanted to draw attention to in a, you know, fairly trivial and funny way or you're watching TV or sporting event or something in live that was happening live that you knew other people were watching. That was a really nice way to engage sometimes, not always, but um, it's a shame to have lost that. I kind of feel kind of, I, you get that urge to say, you know, I just want to make this stupid point <laughs> and there's no one to make it to if you're We're not here, Mike. You can make it to us. <laughs> Next, breaking the ice and restarting the fire. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Now we come to what we can't get out of our head. Lenore, what is it for you? For me, it was a story that our reporter Henry Bellow wrote this week about Australia's new state-of-the-art $528 million 
ice-breaking Antarctic research vessel, which sadly can't travel underneath Hobart's Tasman Bridge to refuel. So now it has to go hundreds of kilometres north to Burnie to refuel, which you think they might have thought of. Anywho, I hope the writers of Utopia have paid attention because it would make a great episode. Mike, what yes. is it for you? Frustratingly close, the refuelling station, <laughs> just on the other side of the bridge. They can see it, but, but they, they just, just can't, can't get, get there. there. <laughs> um, so my one was quite Twitter adjacent. It was the reboot of the Fire Festival. Uh, people will no doubt remember uh, what happened at the Fire Festival. The, what didn't happen. What yeah. didn't happen, yeah. The um, food. <laughs> the cr- uh, one of the creators, Billy McFarlane, has been released from jail after being jailed for fraud in 2018 over the outcomes of the Fire Festival. And this was what, something that really did happen on Twitter or, you know, that was one of the ways in which what was happening was conveyed to the world. <laughs> I can remember quite vividly that Sunday. Um, the pictures of the food. The pictures of the food were the main thing. But uh, our columnist Emma Brox has written a really, really actually thought-provoking piece about what drives people like Billy McFarlane when they've perpetrated a calamity, in some cases a criminal calamity, but then try to sort of parlay that into their brand to make that something they can use when the time enough time has passed to keep themselves in the public eye or do some profit from it somehow. And she ends up having a a grain of sympathy for him because it may not work out. And then what is he left with except just this massive disaster? But there are a lot of good lines in there. She talks about how the Fire Festival was... um, it was one of those rare unifying moments, a public bin fire around which, irrespective of difference, we could gather to warm our hands and unite in a sing song. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that really was it. That really actually was a, a Twitter moment. Mm. That um, it was only through Twitter that we were able to warm ourselves around that public bin fire. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Mike. Thanks. Thanks, Lenore. Thanks, Gab. That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to follow us wherever you're listening, especially if it's on Spotify. This episode was produced by Camilla Hannan and Daniel Simo. The executive producer is me, Gabrielle Jackson. Full Story will be back with you on Monday. Catch you then. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.